EDU, and you can see some of the things I have with me today. So today, we're going to talk about Jonah, someone in the Bible Jonah called... Class. Huh? Jonah in my class at school. No, a different Jonah than the one in your class at school. <laughs> this was one we learn about in the Bible. So you may recognize a part of the story a little later on, but it starts with a guy named Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet. Prophets are people, God gives them a message and they're supposed to share it with other people. And God gave Jonah a message. Go to the people of the city of Nineveh and get them to change their ways. Tell them that they're evil and get them to behave. And you know what Jonah did? He went the other direction from Nineveh. He didn't want to go tell those people. It turns out those people were enemies of his people, and he didn't want to go to them and tell them what they're doing wrong. So he hopped the first boat he could find, and instead of going to Nineveh, what did he do? He went the other way. And, you know, when God asks us to do something, God doesn't leave us alone about it. So, just to get his attention... God started a storm on the water, and the ship is going crazy, and there's a whole crew on the boat besides, besides Jonah, and they're like, what happened? Well, they decided, you know, maybe it was Jonah's fault. Maybe Jonah did something wrong, and Jonah volunteered. He goes, oh, just throw me in the sea, and maybe everything will calm down, and you can keep sailing. No, we don't want to do that to you, Jonah. Well, they looked at the sea, and it got worse, and the storm got worse, and they're like, well, if you insist, Jonah, and what did they do? They threw him into the sea. So they go on their way. And Jonah thinks he's going to drown and he's in the sea. But God doesn't want him to drown. God just wants him to listen. So God sends along a what? A whale. A whale. Because the whale, got your fingers. So. <laughs> The whale is in the water, and Jonah's in the water. What do you think happened? The whale swallowed him. The whale swallowed him. Now, it's important to remember this is a story, just like a story you read that helps you learn something important, not that it was history or anything like that. But in the story, Jonah's in, makes it all the way down to the belly of the whale, and he's in the belly of the whale for three days. And it's dark in there, and what else do you think it's like inside the belly of a whale? <laughs> Icky, right? And so there isn't much else Jonah can do, so he just prays to God, and God gets the whale to go spit him out onto the dry land. I imagine the whale had a little indigestion, because people aren't usually what whales eat. So... The whale swims away, and there is Jonah, and God gives Jonah a second chance and says, okay, Jonah, what do you need to do? Go to Nineveh like I asked you to in the first place. And he does. And the people of Nineveh change their ways. They're sorry for how awful they've been. They change their ways, and God forgives them. But you know what? Jonah's mad that God forgave them. 
He's like, God, those are my enemies. Why didn't you do something terrible to him? I can't believe you. And he grumbled for the rest of the story. He just never turned around. And I think one of the important things we learn in this story, God gave a second chance to Jonah. God gave a second chance to the people that he went to talk to. And God gives us second chances. Sometimes you may have a brother or a sister or a friend who does something you don't like. And you're mad at them. And it's hard to forgive, isn't it? You just want to stay mad at them. But God teaches us to love each other. And that means we need to learn to forgive each other and give everybody else a second chance. Because we'd want one too, wouldn't we? Second chances are good. Let's have a prayer and you can repeat each part after me. Holy God. We are so happy that you love us that you forgive us, that you care about us. Help us to love and forgive and care about each other. Amen. Thank you for coming. Our uh, concluding scripture text then gives us the latter parts of the Jonah story. Uh, so imagine, if you will, Jonah has just been spit up onto the shore, and we pick up uh, the story here, portions of Jonah 3 uh, and Jonah chapter 4. I invite you to listen for the word God has uh, for us today. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it uh, the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God's mind was changed about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 uh, persons who do not know their uh, right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The four little chapters of the book of Jonah do not take long to read. And I wanted to give you a sense of the whole scope of the story instead of just getting caught up in the whale. So that is why I gave you selected verses from each chapter to give you a sense of what's going on. But I would encourage you, when you go home today or sometime this week, pick it up and read through the whole thing and fill in some of the details that we had to leave out because it's an interesting story. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. About a year ago, some of you may have seen the story that was on the news and then later on Jimmy Kimmel when they interviewed a man named Michael Packard and his buddy Josiah. It seems that Michael and Josiah were diving for lobsters off of Cape Cod when Michael found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and was accidentally sucked into the mouth of a humpback whale. It was only for about 30 or 40 seconds, but he said it was very dark and scary, especially because the whale was swimming fast and water kept pouring into its mouth. From the boat, his friend saw turbulent water and then the whale, who must not have liked the fact that there was someone inside of his mouth kicking and trying to get out, and finally spat him out. Josiah describes seeing his friend's legs flying through the air and the shock of what was happening. Another man, Reiner Schiff, had a similar experience when he was scuba diving off the coast of South Africa with a crew that was making a documentary. Someone had several photos where you could see Reiner's head sticking out of the mouth of the whale and you couldn't see anything else. The men who had this unique experience were not particularly harmed by the whales. After all, the whales weren't trying to eat them. They just got in the way and they were sucked into those cavernous mouths. I imagine the experience was just as unpleasant for the whale as it was for the men. Now with all that being said, we are going to get hung up on the story of Jonah if we think it is meant to be a description of a real event with Jonah sitting in the whale's stomach for three days. Sure, anything is possible with God, but the Bible is not just a history book. There is history, but it also uses devices like poetry and parable and satire to help us discover a deeper truth. Surely this story is satire. The writer uses humor and exaggeration to show us how not to respond when God calls us to do something. We talk a lot about the meaning of our calling as Christians. Some people still think it only relates to clergy or maybe also to people like elders and deacons when they're ordained and installed. But actually it relates to each and every person God ever created. God has a job for each one of us, and maybe more than just one. Tasks in this world that come from faithfulness and give the world a glimpse of God's grace and God's compassion. Your call could be fulfilled in the midst of your job, your volunteer work, something you do with your family, or even through a quiet faithfulness that makes more of a difference than you know. 
I certainly struggled with my sense of call to ministry, but God kept putting things in my path that I couldn't ignore until I finally said yes. Jonah is a prime example of the struggle to follow in the direction God is pointing. Now, most prophets we meet in the Bible are reluctant to answer God's call. Think of Moses and Aaron and Jeremiah and Isaiah. Then there is Jonah who is really reluctant to answer. Instead of singing, here I am, Lord, he runs away. Now, to be fair to Jonah, God calls him to the last place any Jewish man would want to go. He's told to go to Nineveh and preach to them about the consequences of their evil ways. If you were in his place, you wouldn't want to go either. You see, at the time, Nineveh is the capital of the city of Assyria, and Assyria is Israel's enemy. That part of the story is real. Assyrians have attacked the people of Israel in one, scattering the Jewish people, but not before burning their villages and torturing and killing people. They're known to be brutal and violent. Imagine God telling you to go and witness to people who have destroyed your house and killed your relatives and friends. Would you be able to make that journey? Can you blame Jonah for jumping on the first ship he can find and heading toward Tarshish in a completely opposite direction? On the way to Tarshish, as we've heard, God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. The crew figures out that Jonah is the reason for all of their problems and oblige his request to throw him overboard. And he ends up in the fish, which they never say is a whale, but you think that's the only thing big enough to swallow him. And all he can do in this slimy, stinky place is to have a time out in the darkness, and so he prays. Then God gets the fish to spit Jonah out. It seems that God has used the whale to save his life. So when God asks him to go to Nineveh the second time, he goes, grudgingly, nervously, but he goes. Not expecting such ruthless people to actually change their ways, Jonah hopes that his sermon won't change them, because then maybe they'll get the punishment he thinks they deserve. Only, surprise, surprise, everyone from the king to the peasants sincerely repents and turns toward God, and darn it, God decides to forgive them. Jonah is boiling mad. He doesn't want to forgive the Assyrians any more than most folks in our day can imagine forgiving the Nazis from the Holocaust or present-day murderers. He wants the Assyrians to get what's coming to them, be wiped off the face of the earth. Jonah is willing to let God know that what God's doing just isn't right. Some of you may remember a comic strip created by Doug Marlette that stopped running in the papers after he died. It was called Kudzu, and it focused on a country preacher. In one of the strips, the preacher is praying, smite my enemies, Lord, smite my worst enemy with the plague of locusts. The last frame of the strip shows the locusts attacking him, and he cries out, Lord, let me rephrase that. Jonah is his worst enemy, too. His inability to accept God's mercy upon the Assyrians has him in such a state that he says he might as well just die. He pouts and he sulks. It isn't fair. We can't help but laugh at Jonah when he prays grudgingly to God, saying, See, that's why I fled to Tarshish when you first asked me to go. 
dagnabbit God, I knew you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, slow, slow to punish anyone. God, you just love too many people. I knew you were going to do the wrong thing. I knew you were going to forgive them. We laugh at poor misguided Jonah, but yet again, we can struggle with God's forgiveness and grace. It's one thing to accept it for ourselves, but much harder to accept the radical notion that God loves everyone. Although we should know better, we sometimes struggle with the wideness of God's mercy. Since we tend to keep score, we like to think of God as the ultimate scorekeeper. Hence our response to people we deem unforgivable. Just wait. God's watching. You'll get yours. The book of Jonah helps us to see just how ridiculous such a narrow view of God can be. The sinful impulse within us has a need to organize the world into us and them, clearly defining for ourselves the good people and the bad people, the ones deserving of God's grace and the ones who aren't. Of course, we are sure we are always on the side of the deserving ones. We sometimes begin such tribalism with whoever is on the other side of the political aisle, and that can devolve into hateful rhetoric, cartoonish characterization of those who believe differently than we do. Extremes of the us-them worldview leads to the unthinkable. I still have nightmares from the terrifying stories of ethnic cleansing I heard in Bosnia and Kosovo and Croatia seeing churches turned into rubble by other Christians, hateful, sacrilegious graffiti left behind, pictures of people in mass graves, one that a family asked me to bring back to the States to show their refugee family members who made it here so they knew their father was in that mass grave, and one man that they killed by nailing him while he was still alive to the church door. It is what can come from anger that spits in the face of God's mercy, much like the anger we see in Jonah's heart. Looking back at the Civil War in his second inaugural address, Abraham Lincoln said, both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God and invoke God's aid against the other. He mused that God couldn't answer the prayers of both sides, and probably neither. Sometimes we forget that God does not exist for us. We exist for God. God's grace can be hard to fathom. It can be enormously difficult to take in that God loves everyone, and not because of anything we did to earn it or deserve it. This, after all, is Jesus' message to us again and again. Forgiveness that is unexpected, unimaginable. Love that doesn't count the cost. Arms that are open on a cross embracing the whole world. Back in the 1970s, a Southern Baptist preacher named Will Campbell once wrote a book called Brother to a Dragonfly about his life and his experiences. After World War II, he had become an activist in the civil rights movement. While working hard along those struggling for equality, 
Will also decided he needed to talk to the Klansmen to try to help them see the error of their bigotry. Only he couldn't bring himself to do it because he was getting in his own way. A fiery orator who was on the front lines of others in the movement, he realized that his heart had become hardened. When they murdered one of his young seminary colleagues, in his grief it is understandable that Will hardly saw his enemies as even people anymore. One day when he was angrily venting his hatred, a friend asked him, brother, what you reckon your friend Mr. Jesus thinks of all of this? Campbell writes, suddenly everything became clear, everything. It was a revelation. I began to whimper. But the crying was interspersed with laughter. I was laughing at myself for 20 years of ministry, which had become, without my realizing it, simply a ministry of imagined sophistication. Almost an attempted negation of Jesus, denying not only the faith that I professed to hold, but my history and my people. Loved, and if loved, forgiven. And if forgiven, maybe someday reconciled. From the tragedy of his friend's death, Will had a moment of clarity. While he continued fighting for equality with the same commitment and energy, he was different inside. He was motivated by the love in his heart instead of by the hate. And it enabled him to do more meaningful work, to answer God's call in a way that brought about more change. When he tried to minister to members of the Ku Klux Klan and other bigots, he was able to exert more influence over them and make inroads to soften their hearts. That kind of perspective is certainly challenging, especially in light of his friend's murder. I can't imagine how Will got the hate out of his heart. Only opening his heart to God could do that. And that is what made Will Campbell such a force in moving forward the struggle for civil rights. Our call as disciples of Jesus Christ is to follow in God's way, and it is hard. We laugh at the comical story of poor Jonah, but mirroring the expansive love of God is not for the faint of heart. If we are followers of Jesus, we can't count anyone as less than human or less than beloved by God. I appreciate something my colleague, Reverend Tom R., has said about it. He said, we won't have a chance of being gracious when it's hard if we don't learn how to practice it when it's easy. I guess that's a challenge to us to love like Jesus every day. When it's hard and we want to run the other way, it helps to remember that the God of second chances doesn't give up on us but lovingly, patiently follows, follows us, urging us toward grace. Because Jesus has shown us that God loves us like that, you and I can open our hearts to answer God's call without fear. In the Bible story, Jonah never really changes. Will we? Amen.